0: for tonight will be from Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 19. You can find it in the Pew Bibles on page 3 or you can follow along on the screens. So Genesis 3 verses 1 to 19. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put, me, put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it. All the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from, from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return.
1: Friends, there is an outline, uh, hopefully you got one on the way in, that will help tonight. It's quite a detailed outline uh, as we think about this. Uh, It is the first talk of this series, The Whys of Relationships. Tonight we're thinking about gender, next week we'll be thinking about marriage, and then after camp we'll be thinking about sex, and the rest of it's in the newsletter, so you can see what's coming up. Uh, But we are talking about a sensitive topic, and we do need God to help us to speak appropriately, kindly, compassionately about this Um, So let's uh, turn to God in prayer and also asking that he'll give us an open mind to hear what he has to say about this topic. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about this topic and think about what you have to say to us, that you might help us have an open mind to what you have to say. But also we pray that you might help us to speak and to behave and to act in grace and in love and in compassion as we think about these matters. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you do want to ask questions, there is the phone number there. You can text in your questions, so that will be filtered, and then we'll have some time for that after this. Now, I don't know about you, but the world that I grew up in, which is not too long ago, is vastly different to the world I see around us today. When I grew up, it was, in a sense, quite uncomplicated. Uh, There were boys and girls, women and men, and it was just as simple as that. But the world in which we live today is really quite confused, especially when we come to think about gender identity. And now in speaking about this topic, as we'll be thinking about tonight, I'm very consciously aware that this is very sensitive. It is deep it is hot and it can be something that is hurtful so we must remember as christians we must remember to speak with love and compassion to sympathize where we can because i suspect a lot of the struggles that is happening amongst many people are experiences that we just have no idea about so we must speak with love compassion and sympathize where we can but what i'll begin doing now is is to really just paint a picture of the current cultural climate without making any judgments at all this is what society is like today first off i'm not sure if you are aware but in australia there is this thing called the safe schools program in victoria this will be a program that will become compulsory in all state schools by the end of next year this is in fact a program that both new south wales and victoria uh, and tasmania have scrap. They don't like it, but Victoria, we're keeping it. Now, this is from the Victorian Education and Training Department. In their Safe Schools program, this is what they teach, so straight from them. They say that sex is about the body you were born with, okay? So, you're born as a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, but then this is also what they teach, that gender identity I'll read it. It might be a bit small there, but I'll read it. Gender identity refers to a person's sense of being masculine or feminine, or both or neither. Gender identity does not necessarily relate to the sex a person is assigned at birth. Rather, a person's gender expression is made up of the outward signs they present to the world around them. This could include their choice of name and preferred pronoun which may include using no pronoun their style of dress and appearance and or their mannerism so this is what is taught in the schools what this means is that you can be biologically male but identify as a female inside or the other way around now what they also teach this is seen our state government and what they, what they get our schools to teach. That I'll just read a bit of that. It says in that highlighted bit, everyone has their own gender identity in relation to masculinity and femininity. Some identify with both and some don't identify with either. It's up to the individual to describe what gender identity fits them best. So that's just what's being taught. What, what we also see here is that names are personal. Always use a person's preferred name. This can sometimes change, and you should use the one they ask you to. So this is just what they're, they're telling our... Uh, this is for high school, so what our high school kids are meant to do and how they are to behave. Our tax office, this is filling in details uh, for em, em, employees... Uh, if you notice next to gender, you've got there male, female, not stated or inadequately described, intersex or indeterminate. I mean, this is only started, I think it was last year with our tax office. Now looking around the world, what do we see? Just, this, this is a cultural landscape. The US Centre for Disease Control and Prevention. I just a bit, did a bit of research. On their page on transgender persons, you see here there are a dozen there different genders okay but that's not a that's not enough what happened with uh, Facebook in the U.S. was that they allowed people to pick one of 58 different genders now some thought that wasn't enough and, and so in the U.K. they came up with 70 different options 70 different genders now some even thought that that was too restrictive and so what you can do now which is which was what I did this past week. When you go to your Facebook details, info details, you can now pick custom. So this is my one. That's my phone number. You can call me if you like. But you can now pick male, female or custom. So you can just enter your own gender, whatever you like, however you want to identify yourself as. What else is happening around the world? In Canada, this is perhaps the first infant given a genderless ID card. So you there stands for unassigned. And that's because the parents, they fought for this. They believed that this child should be free-spirited and decide on the gender later on in life. Do you know that that was happening? In London, transport bosses are banning the formal way of addressing audiences that ha- have been used for centuries. So no longer are staff. Order recorded announcements uh, Are they allowed to greet passengers as ladies and gentlemen? Rather, it has to be now good morning, everyone. I wonder if you were aware of that. British banking company HSBC announced that it will be offering transgender and non binary clients more choice by introducing 10 new gender neutral pronouns. And so they've got all these new pronouns and I actually don't know what they represent but there's 10 new ones. Uh, What else also happened? Under Obama when he was still president, he sent guidance to the US public schools to allow students to use toilets matching their gender identity. Which means you might have male genitals but because you identify as a female, you can use the female toilets. That was passed by Obama as a guidance to the schools, but that was just recently revoked by the Trump government. Now, that's just to paint the landscape for you to see this is, in fact, what society is like and how it's progressing. Now, whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, what is being pushed or what is being taught is that this is the reality and that this is fact. Fact. It's widely accepted that gender is fluid. It's not an ideology that people really do believe, that that gender is fluid, that there is a spectrum, and it's just a social construct. And so it's up to individuals to determine what their gender are, regardless of their biological sex. And so I wonder whether you've noticed that trend at all, that this is happening. It's come really quickly, but it has been happening so what are we to make, it, make of all of this? I mean, it's just very confusing because people throw around words like this is a human rights issue, and so if you disagree, then you've suddenly become a bigot. So how are we meant to think about all this? Well, as we speak about this, I personally have to acknowledge that this is a complicated topic. And I have to recognise, and I do recognise, there are genuine struggles and hurt of many those who struggle with gender dysphoria or gender distress they really do have internal battles of their sexual identity but how are we meant to think about all this well as we consider this topic today i know that not everyone here is a christian nor might you agree with what the bible says and that's okay it is good that you are here but what we will be doing tonight is to at least try to work out what the bible says on this matter what god in In fact, God teaches on this matter. And so where do we begin for that? Well, we begin at the very beginning of humanity. We go to right the very beginning, and therefore the beginning of human sexuality. That's the reference point. We go back to the reference point, not our experiences now, but back to that the way it was meant to be. And what we find at the very beginning are two things. Humanity was created in the image of God and secondly humanity was created as male and female you see to understand sex and gender and gender identity is to really first understand human beings as created by God which means that we are not accidents not the product of billions of years of random chance because if that were so then your life and my life is really some product of some freak cosmic accident. But the Bible says that's not the case. But if that was the case, then it actually doesn't really matter what people believe about themselves. There's no objective purpose. Believe whatever you want. It doesn't matter anyway. It's all accidental. But in the Christian worldview, humanity was not the product of random chance but created by a powerful and loving God with design, with purpose, with dignity as the pinnacle of creation. And that's what we saw in our first reading, right at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over the livestock, over all the earth. And over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so what we see here at the reference point for humanity is that humanity was created by God with a unique status and function as God's image bearers in this world. That was not given to the bears. That was not given to the cows or donkeys. It was given to humans only. You see, we are to be God's representative over this world. And so if you look at sort of like uh, the order of creation, you have God who is ruler. He made humanity, human beings, as rulers under him over the world, to care for the world, to tender, to care for it, to be good stewards. And therefore, inherent in humanity is this God-given dignity and eternal worth as human beings. You see, the worth we have as human beings is not a man-made dignity. It's a God-given one, and it was not given to animals. And that is why all people, regardless of makeup, of race, of sex, of abilities or disabilities, are all equal before God. All people. That's fundamental to what human rights means. But you see, human rights does not mean a right to do anything and everything. There is human rights, but human rights does not mean the right to do anything, especially contrary to God's design. But from what you see from the Christian perspective, all humanity have this inherent dignity as God's image bearers. That's the first thing we need to understand from the reference point. But now that we've understood that, what is humanity made up of? the 70 genders that Facebook uh, uh, encourage us to believe? Well, what was God's design when it came to sex and gender? Well, it's quite clear here in our passage, and uncomplicated. It's binary. Look at verse 27. So God created man. Man is used in a generic sense, mankind, in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female, There's your sex, there's your gender, no complication there. He created them. You see, in God's original design, there was no confusion between biological sex and the gender of the person. It matched perfectly, no confusion. And so if you have male genitals, then you're a man. If you have female genitals, then you're a female. And that is the God-given identity and dignity given to all humanity. And that is that both men and women together made in the image of God equal before God. And so there's no separation here between biology and psychology of a person. Now, I did try to do a bit of research just to get an idea of when this idea of biological sex should be separated from the psychology of a person, from their psychological uh, gender when did this sort of distinction between gender and sex come about? Well, given how many thousands of years people have been living on earth, however long it was, it was really only in the last 60 or 70 years that it first appeared in an academic psychology journal. But it was only in the 60s in psychiatric work that the idea of gender identity was used and then that slowly sort of came into the vernacular. and it's, it's, it, But then back at that time in the 60s, it was still binary. And so you might have a female body but identify as a man or have, a, have a, the other way around, but it was still binary. It was just the two genders, but just confused on the inside. But it wasn't until the rise of the queer theory in the 90s that gender itself must be fluid and non-binary, And so that's why today we have the 70 or so genders. In fact, some have gone as far as to want a genderless society. Now, this lady, Judith Lauber, a professor of women's studies, has written about de-gendering of the social world. She said this, "'When we no longer ask, boy or girl, in order to start gendering an infant,' When the information is as irrelevant as the colour of a child's eyes, only then will men and women be socially interchangeable and really equal. And when that happens, there will no longer be any need for gender at all. Now, have you thought about how this is the way society is moving? And so notice there how this has come into what we have in the world today. It actually slowly just came in through language The way we use language, the way we define words, start introducing words like gender identity, gender diversity, give definitions to it, and slowly it becomes normalized as though it's fact. That's how it enters the social sphere. It begins to normalize what was not intended by God in his design at creation. Now, we must also remember and say that the struggles of transgender people, those who experience gender dy- uh, dysphoria, that, that, that really has already been around for, for as long as humanity has been around. But it wasn't until recently that it began to be celebrated as new genders. And so God's design at creation, it was unambiguous. Men and women equal in worth and value and dignity as God's image bearers but yet distinct, different. It is binary, but yet it is stable. And this is, in fact, what we know biologically, scientifically. At birth, what happens? A child's sex is determined by examining the external genitalia. Doctors don't assign the sex as though this is a good day, so we'll call it a girl, this is a bad day, we'll call it. They don't get to do that. Sex declares itself in utero and it is clearly evident when the baby is born, acknowledged at birth. And gender is associated with that biological sex. We know this genetically. Males, what chromosomes do they have? Anyone did biology? XY? Females have XX. Morphologically, males have testes, females have ovaries. Biochemically, males produce testosterone, females produce estrogen and that changes the body shape. It grows hips or hair or whatever that might be, depending on the gender. You see, human sexuality, scientifically, it is binary by design. It is by design and one of the purposes, as we'll see next week, is for procreation. That's why it's binary by design. But more than that, there are other differences, biological differences. The male retina, you know, the thing in the eye, is thicker than a female's retina. What this means is that females can see more shades of colours than guys. Females can see pink and hot pink and pale pink and magenta. Guys, we just see red. (laughs) While men have better distance vision and depth perception. Men also have, depending on race, men also have more body hair than women do, especially on the chest. Now, I'm not sure if any ladies will complain about that. Men also tend to store excess fat around the belly. Women store it at other places, (laughs) the thighs and the rear, not that anyone's noticing or caring about that. But there are also differences psychologically. In the brain centre for language and hearing, women have 11% more neurons. What this means is that women are more sensitive to sound than men and so tend to be better in languages. Women tend to communicate more effectively than men and are able to use the uh, nonverbal cues like tones and emotion and empathy, whereas men tend to be more task oriented they have a more, uh, more difficult time in understanding emotions that are not expi- explicitly verbalised. I wonder if that was news to you. Well, women typically also have larger deep limbic system, this part of their brain structure, than men, which allows them to be more in touch with their feelings and are better able to express themselves than men. I wonder if that was your observation and women also have more white matter in their brain, while men have more gray matter. What this means is that women's brains are better at multitasking, while men's brains are designed for processing deeply one thing at a time without being distracted. Now, I wonder whether that was obvious to you. And also, women prefer toilet seats down, (laughs) men up. I even asked my kids, I mean, they're still young, but I asked them, are there any differences between boys and girls? Esther said to me, well, boys are usually stronger, rougher, and they don't wear dresses. Caleb added, they're also more disgusting and keep their undies all over the house. <laughs> but of course, we're, we're not wanting to stereotype what a man or a woman is like. So be being a man does not mean you have to be good at sports. I'm okay at sports, I'm not that good, but I'm still a man. Being a man does not mean you have to hunt and kill. I've never killed anything intentionally, but I'm still a man. Nor does being a woman mean you have to like pink and ballet. Uh, You know, when we're not wanting to stereotype. There are men and women, and there are a diverse range of things that men do and a diverse range of things that women do and behave, but they are still men and women. It's still binary. And so right at the beginning, there is clarity. Sex and gender aligned and binary, both equal as God's image bearers. But of course, as we reflect on the world today, this is not what we see. I mean, there's a lot of confusion, complexity, and of course, a lot of heartache along the way. So what happened? Well, humanity was created to rule the world, but humanity was always meant to rule under God's rule to be dependent upon God. They were never meant to be autonomous beings. And so humans were never meant to be self-ruling or self-defining or self-determining beings. We were always meant to rule under God's kingship. He's the ruler, he's the king, he's the one who made us. And that's why we had the second Bible reading. The order of creation was disrupted. It was, in fact, turned upside down. It was reversed. And so what we saw was, instead of God being at the top, we saw the serpent telling the man and woman what to do. They reversed the order of creation. And then the the man and the woman, they rebelled against God. Rather than trust that God's way is best, they determined that their way is better. And that is what the Bible calls sin. It is wicked rebellion to assume the place of God. You see, this is what the Bible calls sin. It's, it's corrupted the whole created world. Sin has destroyed our relationship with God, with the world, and also with each other. And it has also distorted and marred and disordered humanity in terrible ways. Far-reaching consequence because of what happened there at the very beginning. You see, life now is not the way it's meant to be. It's not the way it's meant to be. And that's also true when it comes to sexuality. You see, because of the fall, the, this has disordered men and women physically and psychologically. And it has led to bodies and minds and hearts that have been distorted and even corrupted. You See, the fall has disordered the human body physically. And everyone is affected physically in one way or another. You see, none of us have the perfect human body some of you gym people might think you have the perfect human body but you don't none of us do because we all get sick some of us might end up getting cancer some of us may have been born with congenital deformities i mean this is the sad reality of what happens in life now after the fall these things happen it's no one's fault it's unwanted and there's in a sense no shame as well it has happened And so when we think about the body, disordered body, in terms of biological sex, that is also what we see. You see, it is a sad fact that there are people who are born with sex that is ambiguous. And that's where the term intersex refers to, where their sex is just ambiguous. And so in these cases, it's difficult to determine determine the sex of the baby by looking at the external genitalia. But it does happen and there are various other disorder, disorders that happens to the embryo inside the womb. There are these things that in fact do happen. It happens in about 1% of people. Now we have to recognise that there are people like that. It is sad, it is heartbreaking, not just for them but also for their parents. And so we must remember as we think and talk about these things we must meet them with sympathy and compassion and genuine love and care but it is the product of the fall it is not the way it's meant to be and it does not represent a third sex which is the movement of society because you're different we're going to categorize you as a new gender you see the human body body has been disordered by the fall But we have also been disordered by the four in our minds. In psychiatric medicine, there's this manual. It's, It's the Psychiatrist's Bible. It lists all sorts of psychological disorders, such as depression, ADHD, anorexia, bulimia, bipolar, psychosis, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, middle child syndrome, no, that's not there. That was a joke. That's not a real one. But all such disorders plague the human mind. They're unwanted. It's nobody's fault. It happens to the human mind. It's the product of the fall. It does happen. Now, do you know what else is listed in this manual? What else is listed is gender identity disorder. It is now called gender dysphoria up to 2013 those who think that they have a different gender inside to their biology was seen as a psychological disorder up to 2013 which means it's not long ago they've only just changed the term and the reason why they changed it to dysphoria is because at the same time it sounds less offensive but it makes it more normative And so, this is where our uh, transgender friends fit in. You see, the confusion here is with the mind now, not the biology. Those who are transgender have perfectly healthy, unambiguous, working sexual organs. Nothing wrong physically at all. It's all in the mind. Now, that is not to say that the, the, the distress is not real, it is real, it is painful, it is genuine but the physical body is perfectly working. But the current trend in treatment then, even though it's a psychological disorder, the current trend is to conform the perfectly healthy body to the mind with things like puberty blockers, cross-sex hormonal treatment, Even sex reassignment surgery, which really, if you think about it, is only a physical thing, it cannot change the genes. It cannot change the chromosomes. They do that rather than conform the mind back to the body. Now, a man, a Christian man who struggles himself with safe sex attraction, Sam Aubrey, he said this, and I find this a helpful way of understanding this. Our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. But the Bible says, your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. In fact, the American College of Pediatrics, recently they put out this statement. They said, a person's belief that he or she is something that they are not is at best a sign of confused thinking. When an otherwise healthy biological boy believes he is a girl, or an otherwise healthy biological girl believes she is a boy, an objective psychological problem exists that lies in the mind, not the body, and it should be treated as such. Now, this might sound a bit offensive, but leading psychiatrist, Dr. Paul McHugh, former chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Johns Hopkins University in in America, he said this. He said, Its treatment should not be directed at the body as with surgery and hormones any more than one treats obesity-fearing anorexic patients with liposuction. So you treat where the problem is. You don't fix everything around it to match with the problem. I mean, there was this other case of a civil rights activist, Rachel Dozell. She identified inside as a black person, but she's clearly white. Her parents made known to her, you're a white person, European-American parents. How do you treat that? Can you change the color of the skin? And so what are we to make of all this? What we are to see is that the human mind has been disordered in the fall, in all sorts of ways. And it even affects our identity and our understanding of gender. But you see, worse than all all of that, worse than disordered bodies and minds, which is often unwanted, unwanted and no one's fault, the human heart is also disordered. And that's where it gets worse. This is where we want what is contrary to God's good design in life. In Romans chapter 1, Paul the Apostle, he, he speaks of how our rebellion against God has darkened our hearts. And so our hearts now will desire and will act upon what is unnatural and wrong. You see, in the Christian worldview, everyone has disordered hearts. It's not just those who struggle with gender identity. Everyone has disordered hearts. We want things that we shouldn't. We desire things, but we shouldn't but our desires do not make them right. It's just like, for example, a heterosexual man who is already married. He desires to sleep around with other women. Doesn't mean that he should follow his heart's desires. That would be clearly wrong, right? His heart is disordered. Or another example, a couple engaged to be married, they desire to sleep together before marriage. It doesn't mean that you encourage them to follow their heart, to do what is clearly wrong. And so likewise, with this gender dysphoria, which is hard and real, and I say this as someone who who really does not know how deep the internal struggle and distress will be. If you don't know, we don't know. So we need to say this carefully, sympathetically. But to suppress what I am naturally, and to try to reverse what I am naturally, to reject what God has given as our sexual identity, is in fact, according to the Bible, wrong. But this is what the human heart is like. It desires things that we shouldn't. It is disordered, and will desire things contrary to God's good design for human flourishing. But now, having said all that, Despite how the fall has affected our bodies, our minds, and our hearts, it affects us all in different ways and in various ways, and despite how confused and broken humanity might be, all of us, we must remember this, all of us and every human being remains God's image bearers. And so there is still human dignity for all people, regardless of abilities, disabilities all bear the image of God and so we need to speak remembering with care and love and dignity all people are dignified because they still bear the image of God but you see dignity we must remember does not mean that we can do as we please and celebrate even what is contrary to God's good design for human sexuality but the wonderful story of the Bible doesn't end there is that the Bible does not leave us, God does not leave us helpless and hopeless in our disordered bodies and minds and hearts. We're not left to recreate ourselves or to reinvent ourselves to find our true identity. This is the wonderful news of the Christian message. You see, Jesus has come. That's the point. He came for our brokenness, for our pain, for our sorrow, for our deep hurts and struggles, as deep as they might be. Jesus came so that we might be forgiven of all our faults and wrongs and brokenness and even sexual sins. It covers that. Jesus came so that we can be restored and redeemed and rescued and to be made into a new creation, to be granted lasting identity, a new lasting identity. You see, when Jesus came and lived the perfect life, died the death he did not deserve and was raised back to life again, it was for broken people. And we must remember, we are all broken, just like everyone else in this world. And that's why Jesus' wonderful invitation in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Whatever it is you struggle with, come to Jesus. That is his invitation. And for those who do come, this is the offer that Jesus holds out to us, to everyone. In John we read this, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, for for those of us who believe this, more than just being God's image bearers, that has dignity already. We're now brought into the family of God as his child. I mean, everyone has this deep longing and yearning to just belong. And the offer here is not to to just belong to some obscure community, but it is to belong to the eternal family of God. And so regardless of how deep and painful and hurtful and intense whatever the struggle might be with life, and even when it comes to gender, God here becomes our Father who loves and cares and cares and will help us live according to his way, which is for our best. You see, this is the new identity that is on offer, that Jesus offers us. You see, this is wonderful, because now I don't need to make up my own identity. I don't need to invent myself and reinvent myself. I don't need to just decide who I think I am, but rather, God calls me his child. That is the new identity that Jesus offers. But you see, there is more. There is a new hope. The hope to finally experience a life where there is bodily relief from whatever we might be struggling with, whatever distortions, whatever deformities, whatever disabilities, there is final relief from that. And there is also relief from psychological distress, relief from emotional turmoil, and any confusion and heartaches in this world. That is the hope that is on offer in the Christian message. And there is hope of eternity, a life with God where all of those things will become a thing of the past. Relationship with God restored, our bodies itself restored to the way it's meant to be. And that's what we see in this passage, Philippians 3. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. And that's the wonderful hope. Whatever the struggle is, however we were born, that is the wonderful hope for the future. And it is perfect. All disordered reality of our experiences now, in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, will become a thing of the past. The hope of eternal life is on offer, and it's a hope that is of perfect life with the Lord Jesus. But life now will remain a struggle. Remains a struggle for all of us in different ways. For those who struggle with gender dysphoria in a deep and serious way. But for even them who come to the Lord, their life now can be filled with euphoric hope of what God will install for eternity. There is this new identity that's on offer. There is also this wonderful hope that is in Christ see, as I was thinking about all this this past week, it's actually quite a a draining thing. It was heavy on not just the brain, but heavy on the heart, just to think about imagining, living life with those internal struggles. It is hard and it is difficult, a struggle that many of us might never understand and know. But hopefully here we see there is clarity in the Bible, in how we're meant to understand things, And how we are meant to engage with this. So I'll end now by just saying three short things. Gender, sex is binary as God has designed it. But there is freedom in that. God never asks us to reinvent ourselves, to find our own identity and therefore find our own dignity. Which can be just confusing, subjective and also misplaced. Rather here we acknowledge that God has made us in his image. As man and woman, both in our sex and gender. And so there is wonderful, great freedom in that, it to be whom we were created to be. It's like, you know, a fish wanting to be free means remaining in the water, not to jump out. We are free as we live the way we were made to be, knowing that my dignity will not diminish. And also knowing now with this new status as a child of God that will be forever so firstly gender sex binary but it is free we're also equal but different men and women are equal but different equal in worth in dignity in value before God but different and distinct as sexual beings and for good reasons and reasons as we'll see next week and these are God-given distinctions for purpose and a good purpose to be celebrated and finally in our discussions about these things we must remember grace and compassion though we can't celebrate the dozens of new genders that people have thought up of it is contrary to god's good design for human sexuality and therefore we can't in a sense allow culture to dictate what god has designed as good even in a sense, the best efforts of doctors cannot change the chromosomes. But even though we might be clear on that, we must always remember grace and compassion, that the God who extended grace and compassion to us, it must be also this grace and compassion we must extend to all people. And so as we think about the church, people say all sorts of things about the church, but as we think about the church, the church must be a community community. For all struggling and broken people, and we are included in that. It must never turn anyone away. he must always welcome into this community. I mean, this must be the safest place for all people to come and to belong. We have to do that, and we have to mean to do that, because all people just like us need a Saviour. I mean, this has to be the culture of our church and all Christian churches where everyone is welcomed. Where our eyes won't be judging, but our hearts will always be loving, just as we've been loved. So hopefully there is clarity there on this sensitive, deep, real issue that we're facing today. We know what is right, we are older, but we live with grace and compassion. Let's pray. For John, you talked uh, at the start about safe schools. Um, if, when this comes into to law, how should Christian parents respond to this, particularly if they've got kids who are going to be exposed to these teachings? Yeah. yeah, so that's a real question and a genuine question. You can actually find out online now whether your school has signed up to it, but by the end of next year, you really don't have any choice. And I think we need to be active as Christians and as parents because... We're their primary trainers and teachers and disciple-makers, so I'll be concerned, I'll be doing something, I'll be speaking to the school. Are you sure you know what you're teaching the children? And a lot of the things are really beyond their age, that children, little primary school kids and even secondary school kids, are exposed to that they don't need to know. And also, it's actually a culture where it's teaching things that are really false. I mean, gender identity, I can decide what my gender is and I can change. I mean that's not what the Bible teaches. So we need to stand up and say, "This is really not good—not just for our kids, but really for the school community and the other kids." So I'd be be active. Good. Um, if we know someone who appears to be one gender, but they want to be referred to as something other than what they appear to be, how should we as Christians um, address them? Um, yeah, that's that's a. A very good question and a real question. I think as Christians, we must remember grace and compassion. So it's, it comes from relationship. We want people to feel belong. You, you, belong to, you can belong to us. You know, So I think you will, we would initially use whatever pronouns or name they want to use. As we get to know them, we get to share with them what we, we think or what God teaches us as what is right and what is a better way to live. But I think initially, not knowing the person, you can't just be so harsh and say no i'm not going to call you that because i can't see that you, you don't know their internal struggles and for anyone to actually disclose this and to be public they've gone through years of struggles so we can't just on a whim say no i'm not going to do that for you i think out of love and compassion go with it but hopefully they'll be won over by the gospel Great. one last question is it okay to give boys trucks
0: and girls dolls is that okay
1: i, I don't think you need to give it they'll just get it generally <laughs> But um, yeah, so, so I think this plays to some stereotypes and I think there's something we need to be careful of. Um, boys and men, it, it is actually quite diverse. So not all men kill and hunt and some men dance and do ballet, but they are still men. So there's quite a diversity. So I think uh, acknowledging that and everyone will have their differences, but we're just being clear, it's still binary. You might act and behave differently, but you're still a boy, you're still a girl. Thanks, John. You might have more questions for John. I'll ask the musos.